Park. It's an 87th Precinct podcast bonus episode. Live, without a script. I don't use a script for this bit. That's why it usually goes horribly wrong and you don't hear how many edits I normally have to make to get it to sound like it's flowing all right. This is the bonus episode for our story our story mm. seeing that's what it goes like without a script this is the bonus episode for the book we've just done which is he who hesitates from 1965 the 19th of the 87th precinct novels by ed McBain. and our bonus episodes always start with a look at the editions that we own and in this case we all have very different editions so I think we should start with steve-o's edition because I think it's the most interesting one out of the lot of them out of many of the ones we've well. actually seen in our entirety of doing this podcast so far. Do you think so? I think it's pretty cool looking. Well, I do like the pan ones, yeah. So is this the first pan then? Or I don't no, know. it's not the first edition, I don't think. Well, no, I mean, is it the first pan that we've had of any of them? Yes, yeah, sorry. It's, it's the first one published in pan, albeit So what's not- I got here? Let's have a look in this. The, uh, the third printing of the pan, 1973. And it cost me £2.50. £2.50. According, to, according to this... And I did a bit of huffing earlier, and oh, yeah. it doesn't huff that much, but it was a bit musty. So, medium. So, medium smell. Medium. There we go. There's a little, <laughs> little control one little there, just to check bit in. bit fruity. Front cover of that, though. Yeah, there's a gun pointed at you with a guy with a sovereign ring and a hairy hand and a watch, <laughs> which has absolutely nothing to do with the story yes. contained within its pages. Pretty good view down the uh, the barrel and the cylinders there mm, and uh, smoke. smoke emerging from the barrel. So mm. It's quite striking, but uh, of no relevance. <laughs> I have a feeling from my recent researches into book covers, as I'm trying to make sure I've got an archive of all of the first editions, like image-wise, which is harder than you would think. And not that this is a first edition, but as part of my research, I've come across these ones. I think there was a bunch of pan editions that were just a gun on the front cover, yeah, right. regardless of the story. It does good Let's, font, though. Ed McBain, he was at it. It's all in striking capital letters and a yeah. good blue banner and uh, Layout spine. and design-wise, I think it's quite nice. I, I like the smart. font. I suppose they're right in thinking that, you know, there's a good chance that a gun will feature somewhere in most of these stories. Yeah, I mean... I wonder if it's the only 87 piece which has zero guns in it. Mm. I don't think a gun's mentioned anywhere in it. Not actually. at all. Not even once. No no policeman draws one or even put, puts one on. No. Which is funny, because we're recording this on a day where, in the news, I think it's just been reported that New York's had its first weekend without any reported gun crime wow. for something for like a decade or something like that mm, coincidentally to this gunless story that we're talking about so there that's mine and i would give that nine out of ten <laughs> it's a nice paperback edition that despite its entire lack of relevance to the subject matter but talking about lack of relevance to subject matter we'll come on to that in a minute i'll why talk, what's well what? i'll come on to it in a minute you can't interrupt the process my edition is a paperback edition, and it is bloody awful. <laughs> so this is a coronet edition that I've got, and it's got the the word McBain with a sort of cut-out... The little C is cut out as negative space out there, and this sort of colour that I can only describe as... Well, I don't think I can describe It's almost it. fluorescent peach, if I you can imagine. Say, I, was gonna, I was just going to say fluorescent peach. <laughs> yeah, it's, I look at it. The terrifying, fluorescent isn't it? salmon, possibly. Yeah. It's got a sort of photorealistic picture of... Of a woman's face behind sort of smashed ice, ice presumably, yeah. where you can just see the the gap in the ice just reveals her screaming red lips. Yeah, Ooh! that's possibly the noise she's making. From the 
Oh, I'm bloody cold. It looks simultaneously quite tacky and also distinctly unappealing. <laughs> yeah, unappealing. <laughs> but it's the yeah, it's the Coronet edition, which is Coronet was uh, an imprint of Hodder and Stoughton, and they had some of the publishing rights for the 87th Precinct later on. Just whacked one of the cables on the table, if that made a noise on the microphone, sorry. And so this one is a 1994 edition. Mm, let's see. So it's very 90s. Yeah. Crappy uh, font, I would say. Um, uh, yeah, Good I'm font. On it. Quite surprised. I don't think I own a single Coronet edition. I think this is the only one I've got. Mm. And it was originally 5 It cost me one ninety nine when I bought it. Well. According to the scribble in the top corner. And you know what? Again, I've forgotten to do my research into who it's dedicated to. Not that I can always find out, but it's dedicated to El- Elaine and Albert Alley, A-L-E-Y. Oh. So I will try and look that up and see if I can find anything out about it, because sometimes I can. Yeah. I've got, there's not a, a, a dedication in here. Is there not? Nope. Oh, well, there you go. Nobody. Maybe he later rededicated yeah, it as so he did with some of the other ones. Morgan's got a very interesting yeah. edition. Well, indeed, we'll be seeing a, a lot of this one uh, <laughs> over the next few months. Uh, so uh, my copy of the book is uh, the first part of the second 87th Precinct Omnibus. How many books are in there? Uh, three. Three. So uh, in order, unlike some Omnibus editions I've got, so we do have the next two in there as well, which is great. It's from the Book Club Associates. Yeah, British publisher. Indeed. Um, it's a 1975 edition. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it has a very striking bright blue cover with a sort of stencil font and a big 87th Precinct police shield on the front there. One of the police shields that we use to feed Kenneth to get our scores. Indeed. And there on the back, a very, very nice picture of, uh, of the author himself, which, as we've discussed before we recorded, does make him look a little bit like he's a, a, a mid-60s Californian folk rocker. Yeah, mm. well, he looks like he should have been in Buffalo Springfield or hanging out with uh, CSNNY. <laughs> Indeed. Or if not, well, actually one of CSNNY. Did you say, what's the next book? Doll, did you say? Yeah, they're in the wrong order. But the, mm. the, the, but they're the, in the, the next they're, three they're in the same book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was misleading, actually, because I was just looking to see if they were in the right order, and they are on the uh, little blurb on the inside cover, but then they're not actually in the book in the right order, just to throw you off. <laughs> Why did why did they do it? Well, it's, it's strange. So there was three omnibuses in that edition, in the book club edition. So you've got the second one there. So obviously the three stories before were in the first 87th Precinct omnibus, and they're not the three stories after that one are in the third. There's a gap between the end of this omnibus, the second one, and the third omnibus, where you have to slot fuzz in, which is really annoying. Mm. But I'm... I'm assuming that's because Fuzz was sold for film rights and didn't have the same republishing rights. I don't know. Mm. I'll try and find out more when we get down there in six months or whatever it'll be. It's got a font like the A-team writing, hasn't it? Yeah, a good stencil <laughs> font, a good sort of spray stencil. Mm, I like that. But it's not a bad addition. Not, you know, the nice crisp and uh, Similar crisp blue printing. Colour. Indeed. And also, if you fall asleep reading it, it'll break your nose. <laughs> Shall I do the huffing? Oh, yeah, you better do oh, a test. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, Morgan's is nice. Nice. Mm, strangely, I think Morgan's is the nicest. No bad bad huffs. No bad <laughs> huffs. No. Uh, I've got copies of the original edition. So the 
What I'm so, showing you now, gentlemen, so have a look at that. is Ooh, the that's the first hardback edition in America, the Delacorte Press edition. Ooh, what are all those people? Well, that's the back cover. I thought I should show you that. You could perhaps tell the the listening um, cats and dogs and lizards and frogs what <laughs> uh, what it is. Uh, there's just a picture of a lot of people, and then it does a bit of blurb about uh, Ed McBain, and then it says, "Mr. McBain is pictured above." And there's just a sea of people. With it's like a Where's Wally or Where's Waldo. 500 or 1,000 people. I think there was still some weird thing where they were trying, on, at least on the hardback covers, to keep him a bit of a man of mystery. Yeah. So some of the hardbacks have got him like wearing shades. Hmm. One's got him like as the picture's been shattered, so you can't tell who it is. So although I think by this point people knew that yeah. Evan Hunter and Ed McBain were the same person. They're still... Still playing up to it on having the... a bit of fun, uh, just playing up to that, yeah. But it's quite a nice cover on that because mm. it's really sort of mm. really stark. It's just a picture of a, it's a picture of a refrigerator or icebox, and the title and subtitle and author's name just neatly at the top. And the little green globe for the 87th precinct as well. Yeah, mm. that's quite nice. I think it creeps in and these ones no, for that, a little that bit. That is nice. And Ooh. to accompany that, at the top of this page, you'll see the yellow. Dell paperback edition, mm-hmm. the British Hamish Hamilton edition, mm-hmm. and below that you will see Ooh. the modern Thomas and Mercer edition. That's the current edition. Yeah, the one you can order off Amazon. Uh, Are they all like that, or is that pretty much? All right. Now you talk about your edition not having anything to do with the story. Although now having looked at your pan books edition, it might have been that they took influence from that. Yeah, yeah. It definitely. They sure as heck didn't read the book. No. The cover of the Thomas and Mercer edition. Now, don't get me wrong, I am pleased that the majority of them are available in new editions still. Not all of them by any means, but I'm, I am pleased by that. And it's it's very important, especially to be through a, a massive publisher like Amazon. Tax issues notwithstanding. But the cover of this, He Who Hesitates, a story about a man who doesn't visit a police station. The cover here is a photo of a woman in a long coat and a fedora sort of a bit of a 1940s film noir yeah fatal. a bit of a vamp smoking a cigarette and pointing a gun nothing to do with the story whatsoever and in, in fact perhaps a little bit insulting to the female characters in the book indeed and also suggests a totally different time period to the era that the book's set in and i i naff font as well yeah i'm yeah. not not super keen on that it seems very strange you know I have no issue with the content of the story. I have issue with the cover of of, of the thing. It's it massively off-putting. This one's got Will Ferrell on him. Yeah. 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 A very sinister green face. With a uh, bridge glued to the side of his head. <laughs> Steve was referring to the Dell first edition paperback, which has a got a photograph. glued to his hair and a fridge glued to his cheek. That can happen. And he's a bit green. He is a little bit. He does look a bit like... Greener on the gills, yeah. Green a Frankenstein's and monster. Asleep. So that's, yeah, you that's wouldn't be under any illusion that he's a nice guy if uh, he looked like if, that. If you're basing the uh, image and your your forms in your head on that picture, now certainly. Whereas the Hamish Hamilton edition has a sort of illustration of a man watching some coppers leave the station, which is a thing that happens in the book. Indeed, although they're not uniform coppers. But well, there is a scene where the oh, patrolmen come past him. That's true, actually. Yeah, sorry, is, I forget. Well, thinking about it, it's quite good, The uh, my version, because I couldn't remember what on earth happened, and that was helped by the cover, I suppose. Well, maybe that's... And I didn't even read the blurb on the back uh, when maybe I'm rereading them. Maybe that's some very clever trick, then. Maybe I'm 
slating Thomas and Mercer, and they've thought. Whereas that, you'd be like, oh god, it involves a fridge and a, a, a fridge and a, and a, a fridge, man and a man who a looks and a man. awful, and then you'd be thinking this guy's awful all the way through. Whereas actually. You think he's just a bit of a burke for a little yeah. bit, and then you, you start realising. With that, that new edition, you'd be just thinking, oh, well, you know, this book about a burke is interesting, but when, when's the uh, when's the 1940s one with the gun going to turn up? A bit of time travelling, or... Yeah. I don't know if we've used the word burke on this podcast before. <laughs> I don't know Pratt. whether this tra- tra- translates... Pratt and burke. Yeah. We've already had burkey. In yeah. Mount- mountain-y <laughs> folk, or whatever they're called. Mm, there we go. Your daft so, so anyway, yeah. But we were asked by one of our Twitter That's followers, one, anyway. one of our Twitter followers, LP Langdon, Langdon mm-hmm. at Lindy Charles. How would we illustrate the story? I mean, it is a good question when you ask these things. You either do something really literal, don't you, or you have to come up with something quite conceptual, which I think some of the later some conceptual. Of, yeah, some mm. of the pan editions I think are better yeah. than the one you've got there for being a bit conceptual. Some of them are just weird. We'll have to rate our book mm. covers, won't we? Yeah, at some point. But I don't know what I'd do for this. I mean, because it's all about... It's not like it's a its a, a story against the clock, is it? Mm. No. The, the the ticking clock is irrelevant here. It's about yeah, decision paralysis. Yeah, because he seems quite prepared to just faff around forever, doesn't mm. he? All he needs to get back to his mum. Mm. You could, oh, I don't know, could you, oh, could you have some smashed little wooden bowl? That I know that doesn't happen, but he does sell little wooden bowls. That's true. A wooden... Salad bowl with bananas chopped up in it. <laughs> in the fridge. Yeah. You mustn't in put bananas fridge. in the refrigerator. In the fridge. <laughs> with, the, that, that, that's, with a Mrs. Doherty. That could be it. With the landlady pointing at it. Yeah. Accusingly. Somewhere between conceptual and yeah. absolutely literal. A bowl of bananas just on, on the bottom of the fridge because there aren't any shelves in. Or perhaps you could have the closed fair that they went to. Yes, I was just thinking mm. that, actually, because they the go to presumably whatever is the equivalent of, like... Uh, it's Long Island, isn't it? The am I mm. thinking of for the, no Coney, Coney Island? Coney, that's yeah. what I'm thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. of. Sorry, Americans. The whatever ISIL is equivalent of Coney Island is that they mm. go to in February when it's snowing. So maybe you could get something out of that. I don't you know. Could or um, just just a man standing in between two chairs. Mm. Yes, you could. You could go down the, looking a bit going. perplexed down the French route. <laughs> so I don't know. We're not graphic designers, but as you might have gathered, yeah. <laughs> we can spitball these things and mm. you know we'll end I'll just choose a good font that's all it makes a big difference yeah, it, it certainly does, does. Yeah. it does make a big difference that's why a lot of these 90s ones I'm not levelling this entirely at Coronet books but upwards, these upwards upwards rubbish <laughs> I'll share these images on, on our Instagram and, and Twitter so you can all be horrified or disagree with us or whatever it is yourselves anyway we've had a couple of questions one of which we were asked a little while ago but it is because this is coming out near to Halloween, we were asked to think Ooh. about some horror movie recommendations, mm. and in particular haunted house ones, mm. which think me me thinking, which <laughs> <laughs> my thoughts on haunted houses was I I don't know that many haunted house films. There's, there's a handful of classics. Yeah, I think the question referenced the House on Haunted Hill, didn't it? Yeah, which has just been remade as well, have, hasn't it? Ah, I didn't know that. I think it might have just been remade for, hmm. for Netflix or something. So I don't know. Mm. I, well, I've got an idea of a, a sort of alternative haunted house. You know, a bit sideways, a bit crazy guys. <laughs> we'll have to have a little think. While well, one of my personal favourites, as you know, Paul... I do. ...is uh, Suspiria, which is kind of a haunted guest house, I suppose. In a haunted city. ballet school. Yeah. 
uh, which is being remade at the moment, and I saw the trailer of last week, mm. and it looks, well, I'm not really sure what I made of it, really. Um, well, that's the nature with remakes, isn't it? Yeah. It does, it does so, ask you to remove some of your faith in the original and go in sort of as a... Well, that's a Technicolor classic oh, yeah. of uh, so plot depth of one millimetre, <laughs> but very wide in its visual scope, scope and goriness. Famous for its set pieces. So we did we all watch that together for the first time at university, do you think? Um, possibly, so possibly, yeah. yeah. It's by uh, Dario Argento, the Italian film director, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. I recall it in our shared house. We didn't watch it in 1977. No, no. That would have that, been that impossible. Have <laughs> yeah, it was kind of the... Well, possibly the the pinnacle of his career. He made a few decent mm. films after that. But I think you could argue that as a haunted house film. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's gory rather than spooky, isn't it? Mm. Well, I mean, it's pretty spooky. No, I th- yeah, I think spooky. It's got go- very gory moments in, but there's probably not that, you know, there's a mm. few of them, but it's quite a lot of, what with all the, the insects are in the loft and... Yeah, going down the corridor where the uh, the Chinese matron woman sat, like with some weird things. Oh, she could the see Steele's hand gestures. <laughs> yeah, the weird yeah. things hand gestures. Well, pretty it. good. It's about time I watched that again. Hmm. Actually, but, well, it's nearly Halloween. Yeah, yeah. We should live up to your recommendation. An amazing soundtrack as well. Who's who does the soundtrack? Goblin. From? Oh yeah. A uh, Goblin does the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Very synthy, isn't it? I'm well, it to... is synthy, but it's uh, synth with a proper band, though. It's, it's yeah, it's quite sort of like proper real, not electronic drums, real drums, synth guitar, kind of rattling proper... prog rock, isn't yeah, it? Really? Yeah, it is. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's oh, a good recommendation good. for an alternative haunted house film. That. Yeah. Uh, Morgan, any thoughts? Um, are we allowed to include films of the not necessarily haunted but possessed house genre? I think we could um, go with that as well. For, for beginning with Amityville, but oh, also the, the the house series from the eighties, which oh, were yes. kind of a, Goodness, a, me, I've forgotten a about very them. corny riff on the Amityville concept. They were always quite fun. They were, so mm. obviously Poltergeist came out, didn't it? And that was a massive hit. Mm. And I think House is sort of. Cashing in on that, I a bit? suspect. So, yeah, because yeah. they weren't 18, 18 certificates house, were they? They were like more level, more sort of like fifteen-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were still sort of a bit like, oh, have you seen House? <laughs> so this isn't House, the medical house drama seven. with Hugh Laurie. Although that would be an interesting crossover. It would be a very interesting crossover. But the Amityville, yeah, the Amityville one. I remember seeing that. The, the on first telly as a kid and being quite. The first uh, proper Amityville movie is actually genuinely pretty good and then uh, like everything else they knocked out diminishing countless... returns yeah and remakes it, as well because mm. it's like based on a true story in the sense that it's not remotely based on <laughs> true story isn't it yeah but that, that that made it much more spooky when I was a kid I suppose The Shining's a bit of a haunted yeah haunted hotel haunted, yeah haunted hotel isn't it so the way I think of Haunted house. So if we try to expand the expand the definition to try and incorporate things, anything but a house is how we're defining a haunted <laughs> yeah. house. A haunted it, well, petrol traps, station. Trapped situations is what it is. A haunted petrol scout station. hut. Um, well, they're all legitimate. I think there's threat in a petrol station as well. Real um, threat. Absolutely. The explodings. <laughs> but no trapped situations where the characters are trapped is really important, as opposed to. Pursuit horror movies, often they're the same thing, but 
I think like the Halloween films are it's pursuit, isn't it? Elm Street's pursuit, it's escape, pursue, destroy, mm. as opposed to Escapes. dealing with the mystery of being trapped in a situation. Yeah, yeah, and of course there's crossover in those things. In terms of of that kind of peril, with an added massive dose of slapstick, you can't really go too far wrong with Evil Dead Two. That's true. Um, yeah. There's haunting, gore, and loads of ridiculous physical comedy. Yeah, mm. very, very good Evil Dead 2. So you, you can't argue Evil Dead 3, though, for the haunted house thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a big, big house, but... Yeah, it does have an amusing Welsh skeleton in it, as I recall. <laughs> my, so the way I've stretched this to almost breaking point is my recommendation for a haunted house horror film is actually a... Carry-on movie. What? Not no, a carry-on no, movie, right. no. <laughs> Although you should watch Carry On Screaming because that yeah. is genuinely a, a very funny horror movie. And out of all of the carry-on films, it's probably one of the one of the best examples of a fun one that's not too leery. <laughs> Fair enough. Also, Fenella Fielding, who's famously in that, uh, passed away not long ago. Oh, so watch sure. that in tribute to her if you're going to watch any carry-on film at all. Start with Carry On Screaming. <laughs> But my recommendation, yeah, is a time travel thriller, and it's called Time Crimes. Oh, it's tremendous. And I'm What's argu- that got to do with haunted houses? It's well, got a house. It's got two two particular locations. One is a house where someone's pursuing someone. You don't know what's round a corner. There's a mystery as to what it is that keeps happening. And the other thing is the same thing happening, but in a place with a time machine in it. Well, I have seen it, but I'm struggling to remember. The time yeah. loop is only small in it. So yeah. it's it's a recursive, and it builds up and builds up, and there's layers of people following people, <laughs> and corner of the eye stuff, which is a haunted house mm. trope. Definitely. So okay, my yeah. alternative haunted house is t- Time Crimes, which was a Spanish-Portuguese film or a Spanish film. Spanish. And it translates from Los Cronos Criminos, and is genuinely creepy as hell. It's, it's great. And also yeah. a brilliant film. It is very good. Although it sounds like like an early 90s kind of new BBC primetime kind of programme, doesn't it? Well, wasn't there not a programme called Time Cop or something? There was Time... Was there not Time Traveller? Crime Traveller. Crime Traveller, that's (laughs) it. We got there in the end. I think there's a film called Time Cop. Which was about time travelling... Time crime crime travelling. Crime detection. (laughs) (laughs) Doctor Who meets... Inspector Morse, that kind of thing. Oh, what a pitch. Imagine going into a studio executive. <laughs> no wonder he got commissioned. <laughs> yeah. And, and has run for pitch. 30 years. How much, how much money do you want to make yeah. this programme? I want 16 episodes on my desk by tomorrow. Actually, that probably but no, that's feels it. like they made it in that sort of time. It is a very good film, that, indeed. Yeah, so those are our recommendations. The A run of classics such as Evil Dead 2, Amityville and the House movies... Suspiria, the original, and then go and see the remake when it comes out. And Time Crimes, Time Crimes. which at one point, apparently the rights to it had been bought by Tom Cruise and he was going to remake it. <sighs> Please don't do that, Thomas. <clears throat> You're doing so well with jumping out of planes and things. <laughs> and stuff, run running around and being much too old for the job you're doing, but you're doing it very well. <laughs> you know. So... There's a bit of horror stuff. Because we do like horror movies. We do, you know, we do indeed. I, I do like uh, B-movies and, and all those weird things. So one of my favourite sources of these B-movies is archive.org, where you can get a lot of the public domain 
horror and sci-fi stuff for free on the internet and it's great it's where i found out about the film teenagers from outer space which i recently wrote an article about oh it's on the subject of articles everyone in the world my article about series one of colombo will probably be out by the time this is out so you've got to go and read it on we are cult Right, okay. I started yeah. writing it and thought, well, I know I'm supposed to just be reviewing this season one Blu-ray of Columbo, but I'd like to write another 8,000 words about why <laughs> Columbo is ace. I had to rein myself in. One day. Just 7,000. Yeah, just 7,992. <laughs> oh, we were asked another question, a non-horror-based one, from our friend Andrew on Twitter. And he would be interested to hear from each of us a favourite author that we've got, but one that's perhaps not very well known in general. Hmm. See, I like a lot of authors, but I think they're generally fairly well known. But having said that, if you don't know them, you don't know them. So I'll, I'll give you some thinking time. Yeah. Because what of, the, of a crime ilk? I think of any ilk. Any ilk. Any ilk. Any ilk. Because mm. I think in the last one, we ended up talking about a few different things. And I mentioned George Louis Borges. <coughs> not only are you pronouncing a foreign name but your voice breaks in the middle of it you sound like a complete pillock George Louis Borges who is one of my absolute favourites and it, he's well known in a sense but only if you know him if, it's just so hard uh, yeah. to explain if you don't if well, you've never yeah. read Borges then it's it's really worth digging the stuff out it's hard to know what people will consider to be well well known yeah definitely I suppose... Read my brother's books. He's not well-known enough. Mm. Read Gary Abbott's books. Definitely. He's transported his recent... I'm always bleating on about Richard Stark now. I consider him quite well-known, but you, you can't f- find his books in any bookshop and you never see them in any second-hand shop for love, of love and the money. Jason Statham's yeah, yeah, valiant yeah, efforts. Yeah, and yet yeah, there's yeah. been like a, films made of them. and But I'm not sure how whether they're really well-known beyond, you know... Aficionados of that sort. Of, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Perhaps not. So, I like my Kenneth Cook book. It's very Kenneth good. Kenneth Cook book. Well, <laughs> Kenneth. You plan to cook Kenneth. That's about the guy who tries to assassinate Hitler and then goes and lives, lives in a tree in Wiltshire. Now, you see, now, I think that, that is... would definitely count as an answer to this question because I don't think people's bookshelves are bursting at the Rogue seams Mail. with books by. Rogue Mail. Is that Kenneth Cook? I, I'd have. Or am I no, getting him? It, Kenneth Cook is working fright, isn't it? Yes. Which is an absolute epic It is book. amazing. Rogue Mail is... Um... Who's Rogue Mail? Oh, see. Ah. Oh. Research is going on at the moment. Oh, oh, forgotten. It's amazing. Yeah. See, we're getting towards an answer here, I think. And I think I've looked him up in the past and I don't think he wrote that many books. He's got some slightly unusual... Jeffrey Household. household. Yeah. <laughs> Can you forget the name Jeffrey Household? You know, I'm like something weird come up with. And it's absolutely flipping bananas. It's that very book. good. Bananas, unrefrigerated bananas. I think still available in the um, Orion Crime Masterworks series. If anyone wants to check it out, it's it's a corker. There's a 1976 film starring Peter O'Toole. What? Oh, oh. there's one to check so, out. Sorry. Just. Take a second and just explain in general again. I know you said it very briefly before, but explain to the nice uh, horses and sheep what... It must be 15 years since I've read that, but... It, what lingers it, in your mind? It seems to... It starts with a guy who has gone to Europe to assassinate Hitler. Well, an, an unnamed... Named, um, an unnamed, unnamed European um, tyrant. 
Yeah, it was. I think it was published in 1939 or yeah. around around the time. It's it's like contemporary for when it was written. Absolutely. Uh, but it all goes tits up, and he gets pursued back through London, and then goes and hides in the countryside, and basically. Lives off the land and lives inside a tree. Uh, yeah, 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 inside a hedgerow or yeah, something. Yeah, it's all a bit <laughs> mad, really. And then it's about him kind of evading his his his, his you know um, his, his pursuers, but whilst bumming dry perishable goods from the local yeah. shop and it, stuff. Yeah, it's it's all prior a bit... to the UK being at war, isn't it? So it's yeah. a diplomatic incident that, oh, that, right, that, okay. that, that this assassination attempt has been foiled. So, yeah, he's kind of being yeah. legally pursued by by these people through the, the English countryside because although he's got no... It's uh, a very secretive mission, so he's got no kind of official papers to indicate that he was performing a government action. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all yeah. a bit nuts. Really. I reckon that definitely meets the case for this question. It's a corker. So we call it, it's Jeffrey Household, is the name of the author. Yeah, Rogue Mail, uh, the particularly notable book. And we can add Wake and Fright on there as well. Oh, yeah. Which was by. Yeah. What's his face? Kenneth Cook. Kenneth Cook, indeed. And that's a good recommendation. I've given you boar hairs. Any more? Um, I, I constantly keep harping on at everyone about Gene Wolfe, yeah. who is a tr- tremendous writer in uh, the sort of sci-fi and fantasy idioms, uh, and also the inventor of the machine that Pringles are canned in. Uh, that cans Pringles, rather. He invented that. Wow. Um, so, a, a, a startling resume. That's a uh, fantastic bit of fact. A bit of fact. But, starting uh, with the good fact. Yeah, he's the author of uh, The Book of the New Sun, which is my, my favourite kind of sci-fi fantasy um, epic. It's about as far from Tolkien as you can go without, whilst still kind of being in that genre, but it's it's quite linguistically interesting, very enigmatic, and also really darkly humorous. It's, it's really good stuff. Um, and if anyone wants to listen to a massively in-depth podcast about it, there is one that goes through it in painstaking detail, chapter by chapter, uh, called Alzabo Soup. Alzabo um, Soup. Well, we must make sure we link to that. Well, worth having a look. Maybe they'll link to us. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's some recommendations, isn't there? As well, I'd say as well in crime, it, although Marjorie Allingham, who I've just been reading recently, is pretty well known. She invented Campion, the character of Campion. Mm. Compared to someone like Agatha Christie, she's she's barely known. Yeah, definitely. But she's got a really, really important place in certainly the English style of crime writing. A fairly odd style, and it's very enjoyable. A bit more of a challenge than Agatha Christie stuff, in a good way, mm. I think. So that's a good recommendation there as well. So there's some as well. I think we've managed to pull something out of the hat. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Might not. Might not be a lovely fluffy rabbit. It might be skinned hair, but we tried, got something out of there anyway, somehow. Well, I think that's enough nonsense for us for this month. We're going to go away and, well, Steve, all I think you should do is you should go to Sri Lanka to read your next book. Oh, go on then. Okie dokie. Morgan, you and I better stay in Liverpool to read it. I suppose you better. <sighs> remember sunshine. I remember sunshine and warmth. <laughs> we'll be back soon with the next book, which, as I said in the main podcast is Doll. 1965, Doll. Goodbye. Fairly well. Goodbye. Goodbye.